Welcome back to Following No Anonymous Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 140, and we're covering chapters 17, 18, and 19 of The Final Empire. Paul, how are you? Uh, so good. Swell. I still don't know. Maybe I'm married at this point. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> if you're listening right now, uh, just know I might be married and I might not. I, prob- I probably am. I... No, actually, next next week, I think I could confidently say that I'm married. Elliot, it's it's been an entire week, and I'm still reeling from our theories from from last week. We we had some some mind bending ones that I'm I'm still very much stuck on, and might have blown my mind. Yeah, last week there was a lot of unscripted, unoutlined conversation that. So, so some constructive, some not constructive. So we'll see how this week goes. Did you guys have two words to summarize the episode? Paul. Yes. <clears throat> My two words are go together and separate. I have deceiving deceivers. Okay. And Elliot? And I have bishops and pawns. Okay. Let's talk about Mistborn. All right, who's the pawn? Well, I mean, Vin is obviously the the pawn. She's entering into the great game of chess that is the the nobles of Luthadel and uh, getting used as pawn. And very quickly, Paul, who's the deceiver? Um, almost everyone, uh, Kelsier and Fair. Vin at times. Um, I think it's interesting how we see into their heads of how they're working to deceive others and they're also being deceived. There's a whole whole mess of it um, of deceiving others. So, yeah. Long story short. Uh, Elliot, would you like to summarize what we've read for today? Sure thing. We read chapters 17, 18, and 19, which were all fairly long, but didn't Quite have as much going on as some of the previous chapters, so my summary's a little shorter. Chapter 17 starts out with uh, another meeting of the crew. They all get back together at Mansion Renu and talk about the plans. Nothing too major, I don't think, baked into there. We learn that Sezed is off translating the Lord Ruler's journal, which is apparently what the book was that Vin found in uh, in the castle. Yes. Shaw. I want to talk about that later, but yes, go ahead. Definitely. Uh, Vin and Kelsier talk a little bit more about his wife, Mare, and he tells a story of how he snapped and gained his powers, apparently. After that, Vin goes to her second ball, and so she's back on the, the royal circuit, I guess. She she meets Elland again. He comes and camps out at her table at the ball, and they have a number of uh, interactions. And then Vin does some some dancing and ends up meeting Shan Ilariel. Am I naming correctly there? Yes. Who is apparently maybe one of the not 
pawns in the the picture. She seems to be one of the the people moving the pawns around. She's apparently also a soother, as we find. Helsier then is uh, wandering through a random street and has a conversation with none other than Hoyd, apparently. And then immediately turns after that conversation and goes and pretends to be an informant to none other than Lord Straff Venture and ends up learning some pretty valuable information about himself, or at least his plans (laughs) and what information is, is getting out there. Yes. And that was it. And he's told to go gather more information about himself to tell to Straff Venture. All right. So the, the chapter 17 opens up with Vin being a little stir crazy um, in Feliz. She's been recuperating from her incursion into Critic Shaw last week, and she's just fed up with it. She wants to be back in Luthadel, being a Mistborn, being Lady Valette. And the crew shows up, specifically Kelsier and Doxen, and they give updates to Lord Renu and Vin on everything that's happening. Um, and Doxen says, yeah, so Lady Valette has been missing for too long. We really need her to be to, to make an appearance. And Vin's like, heck yeah, let's go. Um, and the only person that's a little hesitant about that is Kelsier and Sezed, who are not totally convinced that she's recovered, but for all intents and purposes, she has fully recovered and she's back at it. It was easy to forget in these chapters that Vin is still pretty wounded. Like she took right. a major injury in that battle. She got like impaled on yes, a pike basically she did. in that battle. You know, something that would have pretty quickly killed someone who wasn't burning a lot of pewter to stay alive. So the fact that she then is going about this ball where she has to do dancing and a bunch of other things and not let anyone notice that she's got bandages and whatnot underneath her dress and yeah tricky it is it's almost like a you know it's like the superheroes dilemma you know they just fight crime and get injured and then have to go to their day job or something you know yeah yep um it it almost feels like that their alter ego mysteriously takes a week off and you're like "Mm, yes exactly interesting Mm. how was vacation (laughs) um but I, i have to say you know We've we've read Stormlight, and I'm not going to talk about Stormlight too much, but just drawing a comparison on, like, story concepts, we see some... This is different from, like, a, quote, like, world-building chapter, in my opinion. This isn't a step away from our characters. This isn't anything like that. We're seeing Vin's perspective of this ball, um, and I really enjoyed it a lot. I really enjoyed this chapter. The reason I'm <clears throat> drawing that as a big comparison, if you are joining us for Mistborn specifically and haven't read Stormlight Archive, I one of my critiques was early chapters being more slow and maybe more world buildy, and uh, I didn't fully enjoy it. You know, I can appreciate it, but it wasn't my favorite to read. I was like, okay, okay, let's get to the action. Let's get to the fun stuff. Um, but I think it's almost the opposite here. Not not fully an opposite. That's that's a strong way to put it. But I really enjoyed these chapters. I really enjoyed seeing inside her mind in this like real like incognito perspective of 
she is a skull who's acting as a noble woman who is with all these other noble women, almost like speaking down on skull at times, like all, all sorts of stuff. And it's actually really, really funny to see like the, the, the depth she's in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and we even get, which we'll talk about later. We get like almost like warnings to her that no one else are batting an eye at, but like the, a ska boy is killed. Um, and she's like, well, if people realize that I'm Scott, like that would just be me, you know, like, like it's right. really high stakes, but nobody's even aware that there's stakes in general. They're just like having a nice night out at the ball, you know, mm-hmm. um, we're learning all the social rules for the, this like higher class on, on schedule. We're learning lots of stuff, but it's in, in my opinion, a really neat narrative way. There's even like, I don't know. Hints at this little like romantic interest potentially um, with Vin and Ellen. I don't know that I see it much here with like Ellen's side, but Vin seems like, 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 I think we talked about this before. Trevor was almost like mildly annoyed that like right out of the gate, Vin is feeling annoyed that she's not getting attention from him or something like that because all the other guys gave her attention. Yeah. Which we, you know. We don't need to go into now, but we discussed whether or not that's like super accurate to her character at this point. Like, should, would she actually care? I don't really know that she would. Anyways, all that to say, I think this was really, really satisfying to read and really enjoyable. Uh, just kind of given the like spy elements of it, um, we learned a lot of cool stuff, but it's in a really cool way. Just as a side note, does the second read have anything to do with that? Did you enjoy running around Critic Shaw over the ball on your first read? Or are you just saying that the character development or or world-building chapters are more enjoyable in Mistborn for you? I fully enjoyed this on the first read. I'm kind of echoing my, my opinions from my first read. Okay. Um, I think that's been solidified here. It is also like... I do think this is probably more satisfying from a rereader's perspective... Well, no, no, no. In a rereader way, I would say about the same. Because I'm like, oh, the action scenes, you know what's going to happen at at pinnacle moments, right? But you also know what's going to happen here. So, like, any element of, like, mystery isn't necessarily there. But there's not that much of that. Um, I guess why I like it is it's not so heavy on world building. It's, like, social... uh, What's the word? Like suspense. Is she going to get caught? Is she going to slip up? Are we going to find some huge tidbit of news? You know, there's it's like a suspenseful scene. But for everyone else, it's just a casual, casual thing. You know, it's like really masked. Right. So I, I don't know. I just think it's really, really cool. And even for my first time or second time, enjoyable to read. Something that we talked about last week that I wanted to circle back and highlight. Um. Doxon and Kelsey show up and give Vin and Lord Delamanu a an update on what's happening, and they bring up the Steel Ministry and Inquisitors and how Marsh is making progress based on the information that Vin gave um, to as an informant that her old boss used to use uh, towards the Steel Ministry and Marsh is on the way there. The reveal that we got last week is that Inquisitors can seemingly use more than seeking um they can steel push and iron pull and stuff like that or at least it appears that they can 
And it just got me wondering, I wonder if that feeds into the limited number of Inquisitors. Um, I wonder if Inquisitors are actually recruited Mistborn as opposed to recruited Seekers specifically. Everyone just assumes that it all you know all inquisitors can use seeking abilities because that's the one that they're most known for but they're actually recruited mistborn and we just learned that last episode so i wonder if that's true or if that's or if we're going to learn more about that when marsh whenever he comes back and gives his report um what do you what do you think about that, that elliot i'm actually leaning a slightly different direction based on a conversation that Kelsier and Vin have in this chapter, chapter 17, and that has to revolve around snapping or this ability to snap. Yeah. I'm I'm with you on the Mistborn part. I think our Inquisitors are Mistborn or I think like we hinted at, maybe even something more than Mistborn, perhaps. I, based on what Kelsier has now told us about this scenario that can happen where you experience something traumatic, likely even, you know, death-defying, or you have a you have a moment where you're on the brink of death, but you make it through. That and, and maybe you're left, you know, scarred by something. That event can trigger the emergence of allomantic powers, and they call it snapping. What it doesn't seem like too much of a far-fetched idea that the steel ministry has figured out how to do this, that they can just grab somebody, put them through something, an experience that's traumatic and breaks them and causes them to snap. Maybe even in such a way that goes beyond misbornness and they become an inquisitor. Right. And maybe it's even, maybe there's a darker spin to that of they have thousands of applicants and only you know one in a thousand gets yep. in inquisitorized uh, the other ones just die yeah that's an interesting interesting yeah. idea oh yeah i wonder if would that and... would th those be nobles or would those be ska that they're trying it on or would it matter question actually they it seems like the ability to wield magic in this world is genetic mm -hmm. at least somewhat because they're they're preoccupied with tracking down the the deviants the those that are born out of wedlock or are descendants of nobles who shouldn't be and those are the ones that start to exhibit these powers right so it's almost like ska can't would be disqualified right types of thing yeah so it, it would be it would have to be targeted at noblemen or half bloods if you will i guess yeah that gives an interesting spin to recruitment in the ministry. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. And a scary thought of, you know, that's what Marsh is infiltrating. Yeah. It, has he volunteered himself to uh, join this process? And is he going to survive that process? Or is he just going to show up one day and he's an inquisitor? <laughs> I don't know. Seems a little far but yeah i mean i don't know and would he even would he would he survive that process or would he just be then an inquisitor like would he still be marsh i guess would be the question right 
and I, we need to know more about the inquisitoring process or like what happens there if they 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 snap you so bad that you're not even you anymore which might make sense right yeah shifting all, gears. all that oh. to say i'm a little i'm a little scared for marsh that's all i'll say that's reasonable yeah shifting gears a little bit before we get to ball number two vin and kelsier have a pretty touching conversation actually towards the end of chapter 17 they are at the mansion in Felice, it's a pretty quiet evening, and Vin goes and joins Kelsier on the wall. And Vin begins to prod at Kelsier based on his past, based on the new information that she's gained from Sazed, and begins to ask about Mare, who, and she directly asks him, Did Mare betray you, and what, were you, what was your reaction to that? Um, and Kelsier has a few choice lines for, for Vin to come back with. Uh, Elliot, do you have them in front of you? I I do. I'm not 100% sure these are the lines you're thinking of, but they're the ones that stood out to me because we, I feel like we get a little bit of glimpse into maybe the real Kelsier or, or the Kelsier with his guard down a yeah. little bit. It seems like this is a more emotional and raw conversation with Kelsier. And he shares this bit of information, which I thought was was uncharacteristic for Kelsier. They're talking about Mare, and they're talking about flowers. They he he shows Vin a, a picture of a flower, and Vin's like, "What the heck is that?" And Kelsier explains what it is, and then he says that talking about Mare and how Mare liked flowers, and Kelsier says this: "I decided that I'd see her dream fulfilled." I'd make a world where flowers returned, a world with green plants, a world where no soot fell from the sky. And then he trails off. It says right there, he trailed off. And it's like that moment. I don't know. It was like a really, it was a really sentimental moment for this hardened killer. Yeah. It also obviously begs the question of, is that even possible? Right? Do we, is Scadriel a planet where that's even possible? Or I, I, it almost seems to wonder that are, are these memories and histories of green plants and, you know, flowers and colorful scenery and stuff. Is that even Scadriel history? It doesn't, it doesn't appear to be even possible on the Scadriel that we've been, that we've been introduced to. Um, something drastic would have to happen to, the entire planet to for for something like that to happen. Yeah, it's it's really intriguing actually because Kelsier one is talking about this time that used to be. I think they've even referenced the ascension. I think it's in this chapter. I think they talk about how Mare was obsessed with pre pre ascension times. times. Yep. Yeah, which is the the implication being that that this green world of flowers and not covered in soot and ash is that pre ascension world. So yeah, what what happened at the ascension that that wrecked this world so bad? Yeah, the there's a very that there's a definitive line by Kelsier that he tells Vin, and it's a quote that says, "Do you do you stop loving someone even though they betrayed you or even may have betrayed you?" And yeah. 
I would have rather taken the risk. If I were to do it again, I would rather take the risk and love Mayer again than to shrivel up and not trust anyone again. And that is the pivotal difference between Kelsier and Vin at this point. Kelsier is willing to accept, as long as you have a good heart and are not a noble, um, he is willing to accept you into his, his crew and trust you with responsibility. Elliot, you talked about it uh, a while ago at this point of that Kelsier throws a lot of responsibility on Vin immediately. That he gives her quite a few jobs that are really important. And Vin is asking yourself, why do I have this job? He doesn't even, I could grab these 3000 boxings and run. And Kelsier gives her the responsibility and trusts her even though he doesn't really know her. And that is ultimately what gets Vin to stay is Vin needs to know why the heck you would do that because everything I've learned, you take what you can grab and you go. You don't trust anybody and you you close up immediately because even your brother is going to backstab you eventually. Uh, so even... Kelsier saying, even if it was Mayor that betrayed me, I don't know for sure. But even if it was, I would still go through it all again just because I still loved her. If if you're a longtime listener of our podcast, you might know this, but if you're you're new, you you might, might not. I, I read the physical copies of the books and I I highlight them, which took a lot of getting used to. That felt like heresy to mark up a book, but yes. I made myself do it. I, I highlight things that I like or things that are like they they stick with me in 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 blue. Got some blue there. I have not highlighted very many things. In fact, very very few. Not not very many nice things have happened so far in the first half of this book. But I I had two in the space of two pages, and they were the bit that you just read or were were referencing there, Trevor, about Kelsier choosing to love despite betrayal and then the, the one on the next page about the bring back the world of of flowers we got we got two little moments where it was like oh yes in a, a story so far that's been like oh no yeah so it was it was good i agree and i also i really like how well you you put it trevor about the whole trust thing i understood that there was a lot of trust placed on vin and, and people in kelsey's party but honestly, I, I didn't stop to, like, rationalize that. I, I, you know, read this and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is our story. Yeah, uh, these are our new teammates. They're going to all work together. It's going to be great, you know. But not thinking about, like, in this setting, in this world, and with these characters who, like, Vin comes to this background, like you said, of no, not trusting anyone. You just have to watch out for yourself and take care of yourself and move on. Um, and so it, it's really, really neat to see that. Um, like, I think Elliot before said, there's kind of like a, I think there's a clip you made as well, Trevor, of like, Kelsier's basically going to be someone you like, hate or love or like mixed feelings towards. Yeah. There's other stuff, which we'll get into more later, but, um, th there's almost a little like thought that Kelsier has later on after he kills a nobleman. <laughs> That he's like thinking about all the panic that's going to ensue, all the chaos and stuff. 
and it just felt moderately shady. There was purpose to it, but anyways, we'll talk about that later. I'm just saying, is uh, maybe I'm ruining the sweet, uh, trusting Kelsier moment of being like, well, wait, <laughs> this thing was kind of really weird. Uh, well, so don't like him too much. But and like uh, to even further ruin the the sweet sentiment that we have here. Later on in this episode, chapter nineteen, there's a leak in the system somewhere. There's some information that Straff Venture, the head of the Venture Keep, has on Kelsier that Kelsier's like, "Whoa, why do you? And how do you know that?" So it may just be like the common ska that are talking, and that's how he's heard it, or it could be something even more sinister, but. There may be justification for the way that Vin thinks of, of life, of why the heck would you trust so many people? Because spreading information like this, spreading important facts about each other, can get to the wrong ears, such as Straff Venture in Chapter 19. So that, that there are two sides to this coin here. Anything before we get to Chapter 18, which is one of my favorite chapters in the book, I think. I'm curious to hear why it's your favorite chapter. It is simply my favorite chapter because Vin walks into the ball all timid, like this is her her second ball, and she's then expected to dance, and she really hasn't had much dance practice because she's been sick in bed. Um, and so the the last time she was here, she's like, "Yeah, I don't need to. I'm not expected to dance. I'm fine." And then this one's like, "Oh, I'm expected to dance, and I haven't really done it yet." So all of that, she walks in, and Ellen probably sees her in the crowd he's got a stack of books in his hand walks over plops down a stack of books and just begins to read and that is maybe his way of flirting like i don't know what he's i i love at least this early version of ellen that we get because he's so nonchalant and funny and does not care about anything or at least that's the surface Ellen that he's presenting is like, he does not care what anyone thinks. And it's, it's really, I really enjoy these early Vin and Ellen uh, interactions. So that, this is, that's one of, that is why it's one of my favorite chapters uh, in the book. This has also been one of my favorite chapters, but I don't think it's because of that. I think that was one of my least favorite aspects. And I'm like, wow, Ellen, you're just kind of a jerk. You kind of don't care about anyone and I don't really like you. So with... Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead, Elliot. I I laughed a little bit at Ellen when we learned that he's not reading like novels. I, I assumed when we met him before that he's reading like you know a story. He has like a pile of like textbooks. Yes. That he's like researching random <laughs> stuff. Is like okay, you just went from okay, you're bored and checked out to. Wait, are you just the nerd of the group here? Of yes. like, you just want to sit here and read your your textbooks? Oh I mean, man, he is like one of the. Hot, I mean, it's because he comes from a very powerful house. But I just picture him sitting down and being like, "Do you guys want to know about the solar system?" Like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I don't know. You got you got a problem with history textbooks, Elliot? You wouldn't read one at a at a party? No, no shot. Um, no. I, as I don't, a, I as don't a comical I joke, as a comical joke, but not unironically like it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm absolutely a nerd that will sit down and read a history textbook, but not at a party. 
with a date that your parents set you up with. That's not your fiance, by the way, a different date who you're, yeah. you are ignoring both. <laughs> seek, seek out the cute girl so that I can sit down next to her and ignore her while I read my history textbook. Yeah. Yeah. Who did you it's pester before I showed up to these balls? Ah, that would insinuate I'm pestering you by doing nothing. <laughs> I, I love Ellen. He's so funny. Um, Don't Elliot, what you're incinerating. Elliot, is Ellen genuinely interested in Vin? Really difficult to tell at this point, just because Paul said it earlier. Everyone is deceiving at this point. Yes. Everyone is actively partaking in the deceiving. And so I fully expect, would not be surprised one bit to learn that this is all a front and that Ellen is actually just collecting information on everyone and has some kind of a devious motive on the side. So if if that is true, which at this point almost feels likely, then no, I don't think he's generally interested in Vin. If I take everything we've seen so far at face value and assume that Ellen does not have some kind of a ulterior motive, then I mean, sure, you you got to, I, I think, seriously like a girl if you're going to go sit next to her and read your textbook, I guess. Probably not is a short answer. So I I, I have read this story, but... My perspective thus far, and as a first-time reader, and honestly, like right now, given the information I have, is I also don't think Ellen is actually interested. I think Ellen may be curious, or may I think Ellen recognizes that Vin is different, that maybe something is not quite right, like not quite normal, per se. Because um, he's like a veteran of these balls, right? Right. He, he's like... He's better on the block. He knows everyone. He probably doesn't care about whatever the like drama is between people. Um, and so I feel like it's almost like a kind of a f- breath of fresh air for him, maybe. So there's interest in that capacity, I guess. Yeah. Um, I also fully agree with Elliot of it's like, there's no telling. Since, since Vin is different, he could just be here to try and gather information just to like learn whatever the heck then whatever the heck secrets she has. Um, I don't even really sense an ulterior motive. You know, we get this sense that he's like kind of too good or, or these balls aren't really like his interest or worth his time or all sorts of things like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't see there being much of an interest at this point. I can see how it's like set up to be that way because it's like almost like a meat cute. I don't know. It's like a. Yeah. They're they're just kind of both the oddballs almost at this wedding, which Vin is fitting in very well. She's doing a great job of that. She's not sticking out like a sore thumb, but, you know, we as the reader are viewing them as the odd ones out at this ball. Yeah. So there's there's two facts that I will bring up here. First, I, I do think Ellen is as bored and disinterested as he is putting on i don't think that is a a display i think he's completely over this whole ball thing does not care who his parents want to set him up with he doesn't care at all he's going to read his textbooks whether he is at home or in the in the ball room two i do think 
at this point, Elend is genuinely interested in Vin, but not because of anything that Elend or Vin has said. It's actually a conversation between Hoyd and Kelsier that I think that there is genuine interest um, on, on Ellen's part because Hoyd and Kelsier have a talk in chapter 19 and Hoyd is supposed to be, we'll talk more about Hoyd and his, his appearance here in a second, but Hoyd tells Kelsier that um, Ellen and Vin were seen talking at length at the first ball and Kelsier says, oh, that meant nothing. And Hoyd says, well, no, because Ellen went back to all his friends and talked about Vin at length over and over to them. That tells me that Ellen is genuinely interested in Vin, it, whether that's romantically or just as a um, breath of fresh air, as Paul put it, it remains to be seen. But I do, I do think that Ellen is completely over this whole facade that goes on at all these balls, sees Vin new person i'm gonna go talk to her and then second ball she shows up to i'm deliberately going to go talk to her because she is so different and offers such a new type of conversation that i don't get all the time yeah i follow that makes sense. who does she talk to at the ball that's not ellen this is the, other the boy who comes up <clears throat> and asks her to dance right there is I the other boy his yep. name I don't remember his name either. I thought I honestly thought that's where you may have been going whenever you said this is one of your favorite chapters in a humorous way of it's like she hasn't pr practiced dancing and she's like stressed about that. She's nervous about that. She's she has to dance with these guys. And then he comes up and asks asks her to dance. And then she to herself is like, Wow, he's really bad at this. Like, yeah. Wow, he he hey that like why don't why doesn't he just do this more naturally? Like she's She's not the weak link, you know, and that is pretty funny. Um, and and that um, is minorly a catalyst to like more discussion with Ellen and other things. But overall, that isn't super major. The more major conversation, I guess, is with um, however you say her name. I don't remember the name. Ellen's former, current, former fiance. He doesn't even know. He doesn't Ellen, even know her name. No, Ellen doesn't doesn't know if he's engaged to her still or not. He's like, oh, that's right. We've been engaged for a year, but I haven't really talked to her in like six months, so I don't know what's happening. Nice. What What was her name, Elliot? Her name is Jan Elariel, or something. Yeah, the similar to that. Michael Kramer says it Elariel. Chan Chan Elariel, I think, is the name. And and she's a interesting character she she she's very haughty and because there's the a bit later on where she summons vin to appear at her table and you know says things like i'm i'm going to give you the privilege of being used by me yes and things like mm -hmm. that that immediately you know make you think okay not a person that i would want to be friends with yeah, we definitely get the impression right out of the gate that she's just like the really, really stuck up, stuck up character that nobody actually likes, you know. Yeah. Um, but potentially powerful in in more than just the social aspect as well, as apparently Vin 
notices during our conversation that she's using allomancy on her, specifically yes. the the soothing, the pushing of emotions, I think. Right, she she Yes. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I and keep going. It made me think that Vin's in a, a slightly tough situation here, actually, because in a way, she almost doesn't want to just immediately turn on her copper and become immune to it. Because if this Shan person realizes that Vin is immune yeah. to her soothing, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a red flag. So Vin needs to not let herself get controlled by Shan, but also not block the power either. So she needs to almost let it affect her in some ways, but not let it influence or completely take control of her. Yeah, I was going to say, it begs the question, if you are a soother and you're strictly a soother, do you know if your soothing is being deflected by copper or not? Do you, are you aware of the effective, like if your soothing is having effect, does it connect? Have we been told that? Don't think so. We had a we had a bit of a lesson on soothing and rioting from Breeze from mm -hmm. that scene in the pub, basically where they're recruiting. But I don't know that he maybe he did. I don't recall him specifically mentioning whether he could, you know, feel the results immediately, whether right. he's getting instant feedback or if it's just he sends out the the brain waves and he just knows from experience how to fine tune it. Right. So I don't know. Cause yeah, you bring up a good point. Vin's immediate reaction to that would be, Oh, I need to burn copper so that she can't soothe my emotions. But then, you know, it, would that in some way reveal her to maybe somebody else in the room or to the soother herself? You know, that there, there's some questions there. But she seems to handle it fairly well, and Vin seems to handle it fairly well and play her role of the submissive and kind of overwhelmed newbie at the, the ball while also collecting as much information as she can. Seemed like the whole ball was a pretty smashing success from that point of view. Well, I don't know if Vin would agree with you because she gets back in Chapter 19 and is frustrated because... Says it actually gains more information from the servants' hall than True. she does, and True. she says, "I did all that twirling and twittering for those men for nothing. Like, I, I didn't actually gain anything." And Kelsey reminds her that we're in here this for the long haul. Just you're there to build relationships first, and then people will invest in you. She does get one bit of information that says it does not gather, and that's about specifically one of the books that Ellen has. Yes. Which was was interesting. She goes, she goes poking around in Ellen's books that he left at the table, and she finds one that directly seems to speak against the Lord Ruler. Yeah, and I, I don't remember all the contents, but it was basically lightly, maybe more so, criticizing the the rule of the the final empire, I... which. It it was written by a now dead scholar who was hanged for 
writing such books. But the book was insinuating, if the Lord Ruler has been around for this long, we should be at this technology. And we are not. And there's there is an extra like that there is a um there there's probably a suppression happening somewhere and, and that's the brief thing that Vin read before she closes the book is that it's being fairly critical of the Lord Ruler and his rule, saying we that there's something going on with the Lord Ruler that is messing with society more than we can see. Yeah, I, I that that was what I remembered, Trevor. I thought it also said that it was like if he is immortal, or since he should be immortal, that that like there should be much more like peace or like the, the, the there shouldn't be so much division like this if he is really immortal and and all this stuff. And and so it's really just like I guess attacking the Lord Ruler's character, if you will, which could play into a lot of the um I, I feel like He's a very sketchy character regardless, just being like, yeah, we have this ruler who's the Lord Ruler who is uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, you know. Like, yeah, right, okay, sure he is, you know. So, and I I didn't think about this at all my first read-through, but this read-through, I was like, okay, why is Ellen reading this here? Yeah, out in public, right? Like that's what Kelsey this, asked in this, the next chapter this too. Forbidden book, this like banned, forbidden people. Someone died for writing it. Book, hiding it under like a what? It was like a astronomy book or yeah. gardening book. I don't remember what it was. It's, Something like that. It's falsely titled, so it's been rebound in a different book. So the binding says like weather patterns in the northern dominance or something like that. But then he just hides it between two other textbooks, and that's his that's his cover for this book. It seemed interesting to me to learn that not all the nobles are singularly aligned with the Lord Ruler, perhaps. That yeah. apparently there's at least some sentiment against it. Maybe not an active faction, but at least somebody wrote down some of these thoughts, and Ellen got a hold of it and is reading it, so... There's at least some of those subversive ideas floating around. I do want to bring bring up real quickly, with that in mind, that some nobles are free thinkers and can raise questions. Does that shed some poor light on Kelsier and his motives of all nobles deserve death just by the nature of being noble? 100%. For sure. I mean, it... That that's definitely the the shadiest area of Kelsio's ethos in in my mind is the not only is every noble guilty of all these sins and and deserves to die, but anyone who works with or for them is instantly in that category as well. Right. So any any guard he comes across, any servant, any building he destroys, oh, it's just nobles. It's fine. That's. That's a slippery slope that gets real dangerous real fast. And if there really are nobles out there who maybe are not aligned with the evil of the the final empire, Kelsey is just going to roll right over them and murder them too. Yep. There was a, a, a brief mention in that little excerpt that Vin reads that caught my eye. Mainly because it it touched on some things that we 
read about last week, which was metal mines. We got this new idea or phrase associated with Seize. The book just has like a, it's just kind of an offhand comment of like, I think it's something along the lines of, you know, that knowledge has been lost to the ages unless it's captured in the metal mines of the ferrochemists. And I, I highlighted that little phrase right there. <laughs> it doesn't really tell me much. Bing. But it gives me, <laughs> yes. It, it gives me some names to look for. It gives me a little bit of context. Metal mines of the ferrochemists. And I, I don't want to jump to any kind of theories or conclusions just yet. Uh, we've seen metal mines associated with Sezed. We've now seen metal mines associated with ferrochemists, whatever that is. I don't want to immediately jump to conclusion and say that Sezed is a ferrochemist. I have no idea even what a ferrochemist might be. Right. Other than I know that ferru is a prefix associated with iron. It's like, I'm going to assume isn't, Latin. Yeah, isn't ferrum Latin for iron? Yeah, that's, that's why. Iron is F-E on the periodic table. Exactly. And, and so it's another, you know, Allomancy and Beru chemistry. Are we talking about some branch of allomancy? Are we talking about a new magic system of some kind? Sezed was quick to point out that he's not an allomancer. Is he a Beru chemist? Is that a different classification? Or I don't know. I these are the thoughts popping up, but I it's it's three words associated together in a sentence. So I'm I'm noting it down. And we'll see if we can find any more ferrochemist references in the future. And then Vin gets a jarring sight exiting the ball. She assumes that her, she can take her guard down. The night is over. She's leaving the ball. She stays rather late, actually. And actually, before I get to that, maybe one of the most important pieces that of information that she picks up that Sazed does not they talk about this more in chapter 19 is who Ellen exits the ball with. There are some friends of Ellen that he seems to be, that he exits the ball with and says sees them as well. And says to himself, they are political enemies. Why are they exiting and like laughing together? Like they're one of the boys, like why? Well, what's going on there? And so that is maybe the most relevant piece of information that they relayed to Kelsier after he comes back from his little uh, scouting mission that he does in chapter 19. But before we get there, Vin walks out of the ball, burns tin, well, copper first and then tin, and sees a murder that nobody else seems to see, or a slaughter. I don't know if murder's the correct term, but that sees a, a slaughtering of a ska boy that nobody else seems to see or care about if even if they did see um a soldier just kills one of the scar in cold blood which is a nice reminder of where the final empire's morals are this was a helpful reminder from the author it'd be it'd be easy at this point having been to a couple balls and meeting ellen who's fairly charming in his own right likable at least at this point to maybe forget the oppressive society that we're talking about. Right. And so for Vin to, to walk out of this fairly pleasant experience 
and then see this very jarring episode of the execution of this boy because he's begging on the street corner was a stark reminder of what we're dealing with. Yeah. Anything else from 18? All right. We got a name drop, gentlemen. Who is it? Some new guy. Um, his name and is Hoyd. I'll, I'll, I will say this. Seems like a minor character. I will, I will say this up front here. If the Stormlight spoiler screen might be now, I, we'll, we'll try our best and do an actual Stormlight spoiler screen, but Hoyd is a re- returning character if you don't know, and he shows up in Stormlight. And I will, I will just say that. So, yeah, if if you're if, just reading Mistborn, you're not going to know who this is, and as you probably should, because this is publication order that you're reading. Mm-hmm. But Hoyt is in Stormlight, and so we got excited reading this name. Yeah, if 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 you don't know who Hoyt is, or you're like, what the heck is going on? Why are these people making a big deal about this little minor character who scurries off? Um. You can either watch our other videos about it or uh, probably just keep reading and don't worry about it at all. Yeah. So this was I'll... where my whole deceiving deceivers thing come came into play big time. Like, this is what I had in mind is Kelsier meets with Hoyd. And it's really funny to hear Kelsier like talking down to Hoyd because we know who Hoyd is. Right. And he's like, oh, this idiot ska. Like, <laughs> in his head like this this idiot's like he thinks i don't know this stuff or i don't know stuff like that um but we see that uh, hoyd's information that he gives to kelsier doesn't seem that incredibly helpful to kelsier he doesn't he, he gets some info that he wants but not a ton but then what we see is the way he has now like conditioned kelsier to come across very like earnestly as a uh I forgot the term for this guy people what? who have inf- informants or informants, whatever yeah um as as he then goes to basically play that role for Straff Venture he uses those like same tricks which he like the same like you know little tidbits that he learned from Hoyd to like convince Straff Venture so uh, salute to Hoyd there, being help, being uh, helpful intentionally or unintentionally. Um, but yeah. In anyways, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on this, Elliot, as well. So yes. I, I'm just handing the mic over. I'm gonna I'm gonna save most of my thoughts for the end because they are very Stormlight spoilery. So I'll I'll, I'll stay away from that a little bit here and just say I was. I've been on the lookout for Hoyd because we we know he's a recurring character. I was very excited to see the name cross my page. There are definitely some things I'm a little surprised about. See discussion at the end of this episode. Second part of the disguise chapter, Straff Venture. Hoyd does one of those classic movie don't duck into the alley, switch all your cosmetics, come back out of the alley and you look completely different. This is a watch any Pirates of the Caribbean movie and you'll see this at least twice. Um, and he goes and talks to Ellen's father or uncle? One of the two. I don't remember which one. Um, I think it's his father. Um, who that now Kelsier is playing the 
informed ska spy um to the lord strafventure and strafventure actually gives and this is why kelsier's here strafventure gives kelsier more info than kelsier gives venture um what what were some of the uh factoid drops that actually surprised kelsier there were definitely some very relevant ones he basically says hey the survivor of hathson is back and he's out there go go give me information about him as he's standing right there kelsey said what no oh that, that guy that can't happen and then he knows i think he drops a line about rebellion he does and then he specifically asks about the 11th medal he does which that part caught me the most off guard i thought that that was like a super secret thing that nobody even knows exists and then just lord venture drops a what and this new this 11th medal thing is out there go give me information about that i was surprised i think the 11th medal is part of the pitch to the ska of joining the rebellion um and that's why lord venture has heard of it ah. um i i think when they're talking to the ska they show off the 11th medal or at least claim that they have it i don't know if they actually have the, the actual thing but they they're showing off the the survivor with pits of half sin he is now a mistborn that's why we have a striking chance this time because the ska have a mistborn we also have got the 11th medal come join us this is our time blah 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 that's their pitch got it so yeah he basically has all the information that they've been pitching to brooks at least yeah. a good bit of it yeah so there either there's a leak within the inner crew or the the crew is taking more risks the closer they get to due date to try to get more ska in on it um and they're there's a trade-off there of a security risk versus uh inflated numbers so kels I, they return to um the manor and i think this is from the point of view of kelsier kelsier has an in inner dialogue that this this blew my mind when i heard this i was like did i hear that right that there's an inner monologue of kelsier and he calls lord renew a title or a description or whatever a name whatever you want to call it elliot what is it hey i was very caught off guard by this and i'm assuming this is one of those things that maybe it's intended for you to miss this on your first read but when i'm reading closely because i have to talk about it on a, on a podcast i i catch this kind of stuff at least some of this kind of stuff he he calls him he refers to him in his mind as the chondra the chondra yeah yeah he, he goes he's just looking at lord renew and then in his inner dialogue says the chondra and i was like what and this was specifically striking in context with the previous conversation we just came from on the the last pages it's literally on the the, the facing page of uh -huh. where you just read that in that conversation with draft venture he makes a very interesting com he made a very interesting comment about the survivor 
I think Kelsey tries to play off like, oh, I, I can't get you information about the survivor of Hathson because he's dead. And Lord Venture comes back with, well, yes. However, if someone were to get a hold of his bones, they there are ways, let's see what it say. There are ways to imitate a man's appearance if you have a hold of their bones. Yes. We, we already have an imitator in our story here who's been highly suspicious for a vast number of reasons. And then on the very next page, Kelsier in his mind does not refer to this person by their name or even their title, but as a not even capitalized like descriptor, just like a, a noun, the chondra. Yeah. That was that was kind of obvious, Brandon. The uh, connection there. What are your thoughts, Paul? Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> you got You got to play. You got to play me in the way of kings. You can do it. Give me the. the I don't know what that is. Well, in all sincerity, I'm trying to remember what's going on. <laughs> I, I now understand more. So, not of you in the way of kings, but you in the rhythm of war. Um, mm, yes. Of, yeah, I understand what's being shown to me here, but I don't, I don't remember the, anything with this specifically. I obviously I remember a lot of things that we that I have had to not mention so, thus far, um, <laughs> but this is not one of them. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm like Elliot is pointing stuff out, and I'm like, oh, it's <laughs> crazy. I don't even know. Whoa, really? I, I mean, I have suspicions, but like I I don't remember for with full certainty. What's going on? So I'm scared to make a prediction. I'll be transparent. That's fair. Yeah, I mean we've we, we've been su suspicious of Lord Renew this this whole time. We we were meant to be. It it's mm -hmm. not been very thickly veiled at all. It, it's been rather transparent that something fishy's going on. Lord Renew is this perfect imitation. He seems to know things he shouldn't know as an imitator. He's he's the perfect imposter. Yep. And then we get this line dropped about, well, if you have someone's bones, you can do things. <laughs> yeah. I, I I guess questions immediately come into my mind are, again, I'm, I'm here to dissect magic systems. So where where in my spreadsheet does this fall? Where, where, where do I need to start categorizing this clearly magical ability in amongst the, the rest of our magical abilities? We've got our are eight basic metals and additional metals of allomancy. We've got apparently Feru chemistry, which all we have is a name for that. And now we have reanimating dead bodies with their memories intact and what? emotions and relationships and seemingly a perfect reanimation. That, wow, okay. So my brain immediately went to Mistrates. We've seen a mistwraith before, and yeah. it's very obviously described to us as imperfect imitation of said thing that mistwraith finds. But Kelsey had mentioned something about a mistwraith like eating a horse and then looking like a horse, kind of, and then eating a cow and then looking like a horse cow and, you know, like that type of thing. That's where my brain went. Um, But I don't think anyone would ever mistake a mistwraith for a person like even if they ate that person i don't think anyone would ever say 
that mystery th- is that person. And unless they are related somehow, you know, I'm thinking of this purely in a magical sense. I'm trying to figure out what what magical ability is enabling this. As but, a but maybe you're as opposed to a mistrace, which is you know not magical. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's normal, Trevor. Come yeah. on. That don't, I don't. That almost seems that, that is more... different though. That's that's like a thing. That's not like a magic system or like a power. You know, unless there is something associated or controlling or like something like like we're talking about like allomancy and whatever fair can be maybe or like these things like that mm-hmm. you know the mistwraiths are like blobs that roll around you know right it not not magical it, at all the the mistwraith seems more biological right as opposed to magical I'm not. I'm not saying that they can't be magical. They absolutely could be. We've only seen them once, but it seems like there's a biological explanation for what's happening with the mistwraith. Maybe I could, I could feed on your thoughts and say maybe there's more than just magic going on here, and maybe something similar to the mistwraith is also going on here. Of there's some kind of entity which has some of the biological traits of a mistwraith that can do this. And maybe Kelsier's come in and added magic to get the final product that is apparently called a Chondra. Anything else before I talk about one other thing before our Stormlight spoiler? That's all I got. Okay. Epigraphs. Have we been paying attention to the epigraphs? Of course not. Kind of. It it seems likely, possible, maybe, that they are excerpts of this journal that we just found. Yes, that's why I wanted to bring them up. As far as I'm concerned, we just found our epigraphs in this episode. They they seem it seems to be plausible that it that it is the excerpts that says it is interpreting. Yeah, I'd buy that. Which I think we already. I I was already suspicious. I think it's fairly straightforward. That it was from the perspective of the, of the Lord Ruler, because mm-hmm. and it talks about like the ascension and maybe even the the deepening or whatever other. It talks about I the deepness. It talks about the Hero of Ages capitalized. It yeah. talks about the ascension. Yeah, it, it, there's all sorts of cool terms in there. Yeah. Yep. So mystery solved. Okay. Um, Stormlight stuff. I should have like a. A sound alert for our, our Stormlight spoiler thing. Do-do-do-do. Okay. Um, Hoyt doesn't look like Hoyt. I'll start Hoyt there. Not... This is very different from our other Hoyt appearances in Rhyme and Reason. I feel like normally he's playing a very cantankerous character. This time he's very, like, subservient. Like, like he's, he's like... Influencing Kelsier without Kelsier knowing at all. Not he's not being cantankerous. He's like trying to pull back, trying to seem helpful, trying to provide something. Just a very different approach. He, he's also he's sliding under Kelsier's radar extreme. Mm-hmm. Like yes. this is not Hoyd talking to Kaladin first time. Hoyt talking to Kaladin introduces himself as like the mystic storyteller guy who's going to play you a story and lightly for you. Like he's not really hiding in front of Kaladin. 
<laughs> Kelsier does not think twice about this guy and moves on to Strathventure. I think I, I thought about another possibility here. The the first reaction based on our, our Stormlight experience was, oh, this is Hoyt undercover. He's he's got a, a guise on, he's he's tricking Kelsier. But but then I actually wondered we or I should say I don't know what timeline we're on. Right. I don't know where in the history this is relative to the Hoyt I've seen on Roshar. I, I wonder a, a possible explanation that's popped in my brain is what if this is a long time before that? And and this really is Hoyd. This really is who he is in this moment. He and maybe he hasn't fully like discovered his purpose or his role. He he isn't the storyteller, wise sage, kind of sassy guy that we know from our story. Right. Maybe he becomes that later. Right. Maybe he really is just a street informant on Scadrial, and there's nothing more than that. I I think we know there is more than that because he like you know turned down the chance to be a shard or, or whatever it is. Massive spoilers for random bits of info we've collected <laughs> yeah. from various yes. places. <laughs> but the maybe this is you know Hoyd in hiding, or this is Hoyd wanting to live this life as a peasant informant, and later on he's like. Fine, I'll I'll contribute to this whole Cosmere thing, and then becomes the Gandalf figure. It's a terrible wow. comparison. And I, I was about to say, I don't know if I would consider him a Gandalf figure, but okay. also so, he's on. he's way too cantankerous. We for... need to pause on the Gandalf figure point. I'm going to minorly spoil something for you in Mistborn. Tolkien shows up in Mistborn. Brandon nice. Sanderson writes Tolkien as a character in Mistborn. Let's see if you can find him. Wow. I didn't actually know that. Oh. Okay. Keep an eye out. I I will. Anyway. And when I when I compare Hoyd to Gandalf as well, I I do it somewhat crassly. They're they're very mm -hmm. different characters. But 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 they they fill a similar requirement in the fantasy genre of like the wise old man Ho hoyd hoyd is a very different wise old man than mm -hmm. gandalf is but they're they're both the come alongside the hero at the point where he needs a little bit of a push right that is very true um and i i actually really like your your theory or point elliot of like what if this is hoyd before this i feel like this even still then it's like okay over these thousands of years Hoyd has to have gotten really comfortable and practical with being like a big jokester and making fun of everything. Um, I feel like this isn't Hoyd's natural character. I'm taking the whole like joking, storytelling, uh, mischievous nature to be Hoyd's natural like character traits. I could be way off, but I, that's a common thing that we see throughout multiple storylines taking that to be a normal thing and this is kind of the unusual one like he is serving a purpose here in a really nonchalant way that he has to do for Kelsier to I don't know like I feel like if he tried to show up and was like alright Kelsier let me tell you a story about I don't know this is the story this. of the Wander yes. Sale yes. <laughs> yes exactly like I, I feel like Kelsier would 
I mean, Kaladin was like, ah, oh, this sucks. I don't want this. Go away. You know, but like Kelsier, like really would be like, sorry, I don't have time for this or something. Right. You know, um, and so like, I feel like he had to do it in a way and where Kelsier like would instinctively pick up these tidbits that are helpful, like really minor, like tidbits of just like deception, like layers of deception as an informant, um, rather than trying to like give him a, a story with a moral, you know? Right. So and I think Hoyt is feeling an intentional role here and it's honestly pretty clever. So obviously there's the meta answer of timeline in of Brandon Sanderson writing where this is likely at a time where Brandon Sanderson doesn't know who Hoyt is specifically. Like I, I would be willing to bet that maybe there's a timeline for Hoyt and cause this is Hoyt appearance number two. He appears first in Elantris and this is Hoyt appearance number two. Um, they, there, there may be implications there for something grander, but I, I'm not even sure if, like, even the appearance is who um, Brandon Sanderson is set for Hoy to look at like. Because previously, it's been consistent through Warbreaker and um, Emperor's Soul and Roshar. We get at least two of the, th the three descriptors of tall, white-slash-black hair, hawkish face. Those, those are the three, like, oh, is this Hoyd? Does he have those three? Okay, maybe. Right? And this he, this Hoyd has none of those three. He he also has a very distinctive way of speaking yeah. in the other stories we've read. Like, one one sentence out of his mouth, and you can be like, Hoyd. Or maybe Nightblood, but probably Hoyd. And <laughs> the, <laughs> this Hoyd doesn't speak like that at all. Right. Yeah. Um, but I am kind of liking the thought of maybe this is a little bit more the the meta thinking aside what if this is hoyd without his breath scarf you know what if what if he left his breaths on yeah. warbreaker nalthus and he got stranded on scadrill without a bunch of breaths or something you know like what, what if or what, what if he's in less control than we think or in some ways maybe more control than we think and back to our discussion at the end of last episode it's some kind of soul stamp right. type thing right. where he's taken on this persona and this is who he is right now but it's also what a, it's an assumed more than just an alias more than just it's undercover Hoyt it's he's taken on this person he is like this here on Scadrial for some reason I'm with you. Anything else for 140, gentlemen? I I will say I was expecting a little bit more from our Hoyt encounter. I'm kind of assuming this is going to be it. Maybe he'll show up again, but I I realize that's my distorted perspective of coming from Stormlight first, so I'm, I'm sure everyone else is going to scoff at me a little bit that I'm disappointed in this Hoyt appearance, but uh, I am also disappointed in this Hoyt appearance. It's not. It's not just you. The, uh, but yes, you do have to take into the grain of salt, and I'm glad you acknowledged that. That this is not to 2023 Hoyt. This is yeah. 2007 Hoyt. Right. Yeah. Yep. Which All makes right. total sense. Yeah. All right. Let's reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. 
Bye now. A farewell. <laughs>